So today we are going to pick up where we left off in Joseph's story from last week. We'll be in Genesis 39. And out of all of the stories in the Bible, this, this period of time in Joseph's life is something that I have leaned on for wisdom and strength during some particularly hard times in my life. So when Paul told me that this is where we would be on the Sunday that I was invited to come up here, uh, I was actually pretty excited about this one. This is one. This is a, a place that is comfortable to me, that is familiar to me, uh, and I'm really glad to be sharing this with you this morning. So we're going to pick back up with Joseph, having angered his brothers to the point where they almost killed him, but instead they decide to sell him into slavery. So let's turn to Genesis 39, and we are going to read this chapter in its entirety. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did and served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and his property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When he saw that she was holding, when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Sorry, my allergies are in overdrive this morning. And I got a mic like right here by my nose, so I apologize for that. <laughs> Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story and how Joseph had treated her. 
So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything that he did to succeed. I'm going to pray over the word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Joseph being recorded. There are so many things that have happened throughout history that you've been involved in that are not recorded in the scriptures, but I'm so thankful that this is something that we have the opportunity to look back on. And so we thank you for your word, and may it just just soak into us like a sponge. Amen. So while there are many important takeaways plainly written in the text here, I want to focus on what is not written about Joseph in this text. We see no sign and we see no hint that Joseph ever spoke badly about his masters or complained about his circumstances. Had he spoken ill of his masters or had he tried to sow seeds of dissent among his fellow slaves, he likely would have been seen as someone not to be trusted. Uh, do you mind putting the picture of the uh, guy with the corn cob pipe up there on the screen? All right, does anybody know who this guy is? Yes, General MacArthur. Yes, yeah, Douglas MacArthur, but yes. Yeah, General MacArthur. Uh, General Douglas MacArthur is one of the most accomplished and celebrated American generals in U.S. history. He was a hero of World War I, He's a Medal of Honor recipient. He's a hero of World War II and is probably single-handedly responsible for saving South Korea after the North invaded in 1950. General MacArthur experienced military success in almost everything that he was a part of. And after he pushed the North Koreans up to the Chinese border, he wanted to continue on with a full-scale invasion of China and even proposed using nuclear weapons during the Korean conflict. What MacArthur wanted was a historic, world-changing victory with his name on it. President Harry Truman disagreed, thinking that that move would start World War III. Now, if you've ever taken a civics class, as we know, the military in this country is subordinate to our elected civilian government. But General MacArthur did not respect Truman or his assessment of the war. Now, the general had gained considerable influence on the world stage and had become emboldened to the point that he began to undermine and speak ill of his commander and chief. At the height of MacArthur's sense of entitlement and resentment towards Truman, opportunities presented themselves to begin conspiring with members of Congress from the rival political party. And opportunities presented themselves to unilaterally influence foreign governments behind President Truman's back. Now, as you can imagine, this caused much confusion and muddied the waters of the war strategy. And because of this, President Truman made the unprecedented decision 
to fire one of America's few five-star generals because the subordinate had broken the trust of the superior. And looking back now on that event through the lens of history, we can see that Truman was probably right to resist invading China and was probably right to resist using more nuclear weapons. And so the legendary career of Douglas MacArthur ended with a very public firing by the President of the United States in the middle of a war. General MacArthur lost sight of his role, which was to serve at the pleasure of the President. Now, although almost the entire United States military was under his command, he failed to see that he too was the servant of another. During World War II, there was a poster that was used by the U.S. Navy that said, loose lips might sink ships. Now, while the primary message of this poster was to remind sailors not to carelessly share details of their deployment with civilians while they were at port, it also points towards the bigger idea that spreading rumors, whispering criticism about your command, and general negativity can do a lot of damage to morale. It can undermine unit cohesiveness and by extension affect the combat readiness of your group. I have this as a magnet that is in my office and it is one of the first things that you see when you first walk in. And I have it because I want my coworkers to feel like they can come into my office if they so choose and that their words are safe with me. I want them to trust that I will not repeat what they have said and the best way to earn that trust is to not let them hear me repeating the words of others. I also want my superiors to trust that to the ability that I can fight against my own sinful nature, I will not be someone who is careless with my words about them and about their leadership. This kind of trust is built over long periods of time and can be easily shattered in a single moment. So going back to Joseph, I want to establish a few other details from this story. From what we can tell, Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house for around a decade, and he was in prison for at least two years. And so like many biblical stories, it's really easy to just read the text and breeze through a chapter like this without really letting it soak in just how much time is passing. And so in the beginning, especially, Joseph as a slave would have likely had to do backbreaking labor, disgusting household chores, and even attend to the personal hygiene of his master. Now the text doesn't say one way or another if Potiphar was a terrible person or if he was a good man. So think about Joseph in year four or year seven serving this man who could have been temperamental and lazy. Now, maybe not, 
But whatever bad qualities that Potiphar did have, Joseph would have had to deal with. Now, if you... (laughs) If you've never seen this, this musical, Joseph and the... And, uh, Paul, I think you referenced it a Sunday or two ago. Uh, if you've never seen this, first thing, don't. Okay? But if you really choose to subject yourself to this, it's on YouTube, like it's in its entirety, uh, because I, I was looking for some information on Potter and so, some depictions of Potter. This, Potiphar, this one is not flattering. And so that's why I went with it, because we're going to kind of assume uh, that Potiphar may not have always been a great person to work for. And in this play, he is certainly a uh, putrid individual. So I'm gonna just going to leave that up there for context. All right, so the text, in light of all of this, the text gives no indication that Joseph resented his master. It gives us no clue that he complained. The Lord gave Joseph success in everything that he did, so Potiphar gave him even more responsibility. And remember, as a slave, it's not like Joseph would have been given a raise for this extra work and for this extra responsibility. The Lord continues over the years to be with Joseph, and Joseph is the one doing all the work. But the Lord blesses Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. And so by this point, by worldly standards, by worldly standards, Joseph would have had every right to feel resentment towards his master. Because after all, the blessings upon Potiphar's house were only because of Joseph. So when Potiphar's wife made advancements towards Joseph, he could have let a sense of entitlement justify sinning, but he did not. He did not speak ill against his master, and he did not take any action that would have broken his master's trust. So we see that Joseph does the right thing by resisting the advances of Potiphar's wife, and he is falsely accused of something that he did not do. Now he's in prison. And if it were me, if I were Joseph, and I were sitting in prison at this point, I would probably want to tell all the prisoners and all the prison guards about how I was put there unjustly. How I should have never been a slave in the first place, but I was the best slave there ever was, and the only reason Potiphar was successful was because God blessed him through me, and I didn't even like working for that good-for-nothing Potiphar and his floozy wife, and now here I am in prison because I got screwed. Good luck trying to get another slave to do all the stuff that I used to do, and I bet that place is just going to fall apart without me there. Has anyone ever been around somebody who sounds like that? Someone who just cannot get over some kind of past injustice, whether real or perceived. I know that I have been around a person like that because at one point that person was me. After 10 years of succeeding in a middle management position, I was given the opportunity to resign by an interim department director during a time of sweeping leadership changes. 
Then after not finding any stable or satisfying full-time work, I was rehired six months later, but this time as an entry-level employee with no seniority. I was really bitter. And boy, did I let everybody know. And so you want to know how many people really cared? Zero. Certainly not the new leadership who knew nothing, frankly cared nothing, for how much that I had previously sacrificed for the organization. So how much blessing did God do to others for my sake while I had this kind of attitude? Not many. And there was no way that I should have expected to be blessed or to be able to bless others with the way that I was conducting myself. There was no way that I could have earned anyone's trust because the only person that I was focused on was myself and my own feelings of injustice and entitlement. But Joseph, after being unjustly sold into slavery, after working for Potiphar for 10 years just to be done wrong by Potiphar's wife, then finds himself in prison. And so what does Joseph do? Well, what he doesn't do is he doesn't complain. He doesn't sow seeds of discontent among the other inmates. And he doesn't try to get out of work. He instead, once again, earns the trust of his superiors and was put in a position to bless others because of that. Ephesians 4, 29 through 31 says this, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So this is key. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. There is almost no better way to show others the character of Christ than to follow Joseph's example and have the heart of a humble servant. And it is so unusual for somebody to consistently act this way that unbelievers will very quickly recognize that the blessings that you are pouring out are coming from your faith. Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22 acknowledges how common trash-talking is in the workplace by giving this ancient advice. Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you. For you know how often you yourself have cursed others. 
If you can tame your tongue and let the Spirit guide your attitude, your coworkers will respect it and your leaders will trust it. This, Christ followers, is how to create fertile soil in which to plant seeds. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. But you know, the most important part of this whole thing is that none of this really depends on your circumstances. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. So your attitude should not depend on you having a good boss it should not depend on you having a good work environment. It should not depend on you having likable coworkers. In fact, the worse that things are, the more that Christ will be able to show his glory through your actions in those circumstances. First Timothy. 2, 1 through 3, sums up what our perspective should be. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness dignity. This is good and pleases our Savior. I really like these verses other than Matthew 6, 33, which is like my top life verse. You know, if you had to get a tattoo of a Bible verse on your arm, mine would be Matthew 6, 33, but this would be a close second. It's a little big, so I'm gonna have to get on my back. But I have always really liked this verse because it has helped me to check my pride, to check my arrogance when I think that I can do something better than someone else. When I want to throw a stone at a glass house, I come to this verse. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases our Savior. This is an open hand, not a closed fist. And I find myself in many situations that I read this verse and I have to force my hand open. And this is a good place to do that when you're feeling that way. So it's 2021. It doesn't mean that you can't change jobs. Slavery in America is not a thing anymore. And so you're not a slave at your job, and if God wills it, you can get a new one, if God wills it. But we absolutely have a responsibility to be good stewards of our attitudes and our tongues 
while we are where we are. And so this does not just apply to our secular work or our out-of-church relationships, but it absolutely also applies to our church family as well. Pastor Paul spoke about differing opinions in his last sermon series, and among the people of this church and among our church leadership, that certainly exists. Sometimes we may feel that the church is not doing enough or that somebody in leadership is not meeting our expectations. Now, this is just me personally. I have always partially gauged the health of this church by the conversations that I hear when not everyone is in the room. Many times, the Spirit has compelled somebody to call out a warning as ideas for improvement and plans for changes are discussed. A warning that we exercise caution with our words and that we have humility in our hearts, that we speak in a way that glorifies God's bride, the church, and honors our brothers and our sisters in Christ. It is absolutely critical that we earn each other's trust. Pastor Paul especially must have the confidence that conversations outside of his presence do not deteriorate into opportunities for the enemy to divide us. And by filling ourselves with the Spirit and by following the example of Joseph, earning trust should never be an issue as we are all simply humble slaves to Christ and humble slaves to the church. So to wrap this up, I'll leave you with this verse, Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, by the way. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. God sends blessings through those who are diligent and humble in their service. Now, keep in mind, you may not be the one receiving the blessing. As a matter of fact, you may be unjustly treated along the way. How we as Christ followers react, or more so, how we refrain from reacting is a very powerful way to show the servant heart of Christ to those who are slaves to the world's standards of justice and success, which we as Christians are free from. Bow your heads and pray with me now. Father, awesome God, creator of the universe, 
We are free. You tear away the sinful nature of pride, of jealousy. You tear away resentment, and you tear away entitlement. We are free. In Christ, we are not defined through our status. We are not defined through our circumstance. We are not defined through our wealth. In Christ, we are not defined by our own desires for anything in this world. Through that slavery to you, we are truly free. When noise, and I call it noise sometimes because it's just noise coming out of our mouth. When noise comes out of our mouth, let it, God, let it be the beauty of the Spirit and not just the desires of our own sinful hearts. Amen. So, I have recently been consumed by this pull, by this desire to pray. That is not normal for me. I am not comfortable with prayer, just to be totally transparent. Coming up on a stage like this doesn't bother me. Don't get nervous. Uh, I can prepare a lesson. I feel comfortable in that area. So, of course, God's going to call me to an area that I don't want and don't feel comfortable in. And I say that to encourage you that if you are like me, and when you're in a, a group setting of Christians and somebody says, hey, let's pray, and you're like, uh, yep, not me. Kind of try to hide, look down, not comfortable with, with corporate prayer, or maybe even... At home, you're like, okay, this is kind of weird. I'm on my knees in my room, talking to the ceiling. This is just kind of funky. Be encouraged, because I've been there and I'm still kind of there. But during this time, once I get off stage and the band starts playing, uh, I'm going to, I, I almost use the word encourage, but I'm going to say challenge. One of the things that has been a burden on me is this church needs more prayer. It's not that it never gets prayed for. But there's just a lot of things going on at this church. I mean that in a good way. There's change stirring. There's people feeling called. We're, I mean, we lost our youth pastor and we're voting on another one today. Hallelujah. I mean, that's a God thing, guys. To somebody who just a few weeks ago was like, nah, that's not me. But God speaks and he speaks through prayer. So here's my challenge. I'm going to walk off stage, and I'm going to go over there into the whiteboard. Allie Yulhorn, where are you at? Where are you at? Allie's raising her hand right there. She's going to go over there under that side, uh, under the TV. If you'd rather pray with her, that's fine. Not going to hurt my feelings. What I want to challenge you is to come and pray for the church. Okay? And if you're that person, and you're like, oh, man, I really hope he's not talking about me. Yeah, I'm talking about you. If you're not comfortable, it's not, not something you normally do. I am talking directly to you. You don't have to say more than this. Come over to me, okay? We'll be together and you say, 
Crosspoint is cool. Thank you, God. And go sit back down. That was five seconds. That's, all, that's, that's it. Just be obedient, okay? And I'm going to ask for four people. Allie's over here, so two and two or three and one, whatever. But I'm going to ask for four people from the congregation, not the elders, not anybody like that. I'm going to ask for four people to come pray with me or Allie. It does, there's no fanciness. There's no magic to it. There's no words that you have to use. All of a sudden, you got to start sounding preachy or biblical or use all, whatever. Just talk like you talk. All I'm asking is that our Father in heaven who loves us, who's not judging the way we pray, hear from the people of this church, affirming words towards the church. You can pray for Paul. You can pray for the youth ministry. You can pray for Chelsea in the kids' area. Or it can be as generic as you want, but I challenge you to do it. I'm making this challenge. This isn't some TikTok milk crate thing that you have to do and break your arm. This is easy, okay? But it is a challenge. I am so thankful for this church. I am thankful that you all have put your faith in me to be able to come up here and preach. I asked to be vetted. I wanted to know that what I was saying was not just, you know, my own feelings and my own opinions. And sometimes I'm kind of like, ooh, ah, ooh, that one was a little, ugh, that was kind of on the edge there, Jake Wilburn. And so I appreciate the vote of confidence to be able to come up here and do this because it is a privilege, but it is also a very big responsibility. And I want you to know that when I am up here, I do take this very seriously. So I'm going to walk over there. Allie's going to be over there. Four people pray for the church. Doesn't matter what it sounds like and may God be blessed by it. And may our church be blessed by it.